are listening to the Boss Level Podcast. Today's topic is outcomes over output. How we should be focused on the change in behavior we want to create and not on the specific things that we make. I'm talking to Josh Seiden, an author of a book on the topic. Have fun listening. My friends at Reactor have founded a new company called Minna Learn. It's the same people who are behind the very popular Elements of AI course that teaches the basics of artificial intelligence. They combine online self-study with in-person learning groups to maximize employee training engagement. They've built a new course on Agile, which sums up Reactor's 20 years of Agile experience into one easy-to-grasp course. The authors of this course are Agile coaches with years of experience in consulting organizations in both public and private sectors, spanning multiple domains from education to medicine. The course features real-life examples and best practices gathered from this experience. I personally know most of the people who run this course, and I can tell you, they know their shit. They've created a special exclusive learning group for boss-level listeners. I might join some of the sessions too. Sign up today at minnalearn.com slash boss level to get a 25% discount and to join the exclusive group with other boss level listeners. That's minnalearn.com slash boss level. You can find the link also in the show notes. Josh, I would actually like to start by commending you for writing a business book that is informative and to the point. It is 79 <laughs> pages of condensed experience and wisdom. So thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the book. So it's called Outcomes Over Outputs. And, and let's actually start with some definitions. So how do you distinguish between the terms outcome and output? So an output is a thing you make right? Generally speaking, it's a piece of software. It's a feature. Uh, it might be a poster. It might be a marketing program. It's a, it's a thing you make, generally speaking. And we can, there's some subtlety there, but it's something you make. An outcome is the result. But in, in the book, I use a very precise definition of what I mean by result. It's a change in customer behavior that uh, creates business value. One of the things that I discovered, I, I work as a, a coach and a consultant and, and I help teams uh, implement these ideas. And one of the things that I discovered is that if you just say outcome, people use it to mean result and you get no precision, right? Yeah. So when you start talking about an outcome as a change in behavior, it starts to ground the whole thing and, and make it useful. Then, then if we talk about outcome with that definition, why don't we even take it one step further and simply focus on the impact that we want to achieve? All of this language is sort of my understanding of a framework called the, the logic model. That framework talks about output. And if you create the right output, you get some outcome. And if you have all of your outcomes kind of from a given program, you get the impact. The impact is kind of the highest level result. That's what that's what the framework refers to. The problem with impact is that I can't go to, a, let's say, a, a team of five people 
at, at a large company and say, your job is to make, you know, the company profitable, right? It's absurd. It's too big a job for a small team. And so what you need is you, obviously the whole company needs to align around those big goals, but you need a way to break them down into parts that, that teams can work on or, or smaller components of, of people, smaller groups of people can work on. And that's where outcome comes in. It's, it's a smaller unit. It's easier to assign. It's easier to track. So talking, like if we talk about this in terms of abstraction layers, what you're saying is impact is kind of the highest abstraction level. And then when you take it one step below impact, there's outcome. And then one step down again, it, you get to output. Is this one way of thinking about it? Yes, right. The, those are your three levels. The, th the place where this gets interesting is that when you start talking about outcomes as human behavior, there's actually many outcomes that you can almost think of an outcome as like an expandable customer journey, right? So just in a simple e-commerce context, a customer does a Google search, a customer sees an image, a customer clicks on the image, a customer reads the description, a customer reads the reviews, a customer puts it in the shopping cart, customer checks out, right? Each one of those is an outcome. And so you might look at your, you know, funnel, right? And you might say, oh, look, you know, customers put these things in the shopping cart, but they don't check out. Or a customer lands on the landing page, but they never read a review. They never put it in the shopping cart. Wherever our funnel has a bottleneck, you can say, okay, we want people to do this next step how might we get people to do this next step? Why aren't they doing this next step? And so you can kind of tell that story and then look at the little, look at the nodes, each step I think of as a node and say, one of these is critical at the moment and how do we increase the frequency of it? What then if we succeed in creating the outcomes that we want, but we fail to deliver the impact that we expected? Because there's a gap between yeah. uh, the outcome and the impact too. Um, uh, would you agree? Yeah, yeah, there is. And and it's harder to find because it's it's slower to appear, right? So as you go further and further up in abstraction layers, you have many more factors contributing to impact, right? So, you know, if, if I'm trying to drive sales, right? Well, one part problem could be a small problem that people can't find the, the you know, put this in the cart button. That's, you know, we can, we can tell pretty clearly if changing the design of the page, changing the design of the button, oh, people can find it now. They, they know what to do. Maybe they're even putting it in the cart. Maybe they're even checking out at higher rates. But wait a minute, it's not growing our revenue. Why is our revenue not growing, right? Well, there's all these other factors that are, you know, contributing to that. Like maybe they buy things and the, our shipping service is terrible and we have lots of returns, you know, and so our, I mean, that's, that's a margin example, but, but you get my point, right? That there, yeah. there yeah. are lots of factors that contribute to these high level results. That's where sort of having data across your system and trying to do that analysis to understand really what are the key outcomes uh, that we need to focus on to drive our impact level metrics. That's where that becomes so important. And the reason why you why you think that like focusing on the outcomes uh, instead of the outputs or the impact is that like if I'm getting you correctly, it's kind of the sweet spot where we have enough 
concrete, like it, it's concrete enough for us to act on, but it's not uh, too detailed, too low level. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think I think it's very possible. You know, in agile practices, we you often see this idea. This comes from Scrum. This idea of done, right? And so we we write a, a spec or a story or a requirement or whatever, and we say, well, what are the acceptance criteria? And mm-hmm. you know, we we make this software and we put it in the world, super concrete, right? And everybody knows, yes, you built the feature. Great, I'm going to pay you. You did a job, Josh. You know, <laughs> and you put this feature in the world, and maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. And so you can, you can make successful software in, in the sense of you can make functioning software that doesn't deliver yeah, yeah, any, yeah. any value at all. So, so you need done, you need the idea of done because you need to ship software, but you need another level beyond done, which is validated, right? And the only way yeah. you can, you know, done is it meets the specifications. That's your output. Good, you need that. Validated is we thought that that output would create an outcome. Did it? Is it working to deliver the value that we thought it would? That's why that idea is, is I think, to me, it's that's one of the two big reasons why that idea is useful for, for product teams. And product development is often very heavily focused on implementing features and focus on user stories and, and ticking things to done uh, on, on a backlog. What are your thoughts on how can we start having discussions on outcomes? The first thing to do is really to sit down and say, what are our, uh, I'll use the word users in this context, what no. are our users doing in our system? And what are they trying to do? Right. And just, just being able to tell that story, right. Um, you know, that's a, you're essentially building a map, right. One post-it note after another, first they do this, then they do this, then they do this, then they do this. What are they trying to do? That's the next question, right. Cause they're doing something. (laughs) Is this what they want to be doing or is this what they have to do? Because this is what we've given them. Right. So what are they trying to do? The third question then is what do we want them to do? Right. And what we're looking for are those places where those stories overlap. And then looking at that story and saying, okay, where are the obstacles? And where are the places where there are gaps, right? Where this, this story breaks down. Then of those gaps, which ones are the important ones? Where are the high value ones that we can start to work on? And then, you know, being able to then experiment to run a series of experiments to say, can we close the gap, right? What if we, what if we redesign the feature this way? What if we add a new feature? What if we change the price of our product? What if we offer a promotion, right? And it's not just product development at that point. It's kind of all of the capabilities of the organization can come to, to play in this uh, work. One way of looking at this is simply that you need to be very clear about your understanding of like, what is the problem that your customer or user is trying to solve with your product or service. Right. And we're not talking about like having a vision statement for the company of like what the company wants to be or like or or anything fancy like that. We're talking about a very 
rudimentary understanding of what is the problem that the customer is trying to solve. And then making sure that we make that process very easy. Exactly. And, and you know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of ways and, and to, to doing this, right? I mean, you hear people talk about jobs to be done. This is where yep. jobs to be done comes in. There's, you know, personas and scenarios, right? And this is where similarly you can use personas and scenarios and use your fundamental uh, techniques of user research and product discovery. However you do it, you're trying to do exactly what you just said. Our management or our organizations haven't really kept up with the change that has happened in, in the ways that we work. What are your thoughts on how do we organize around outcomes and make sure that we are more focused on the things or the changes in behavior that the things that we build actually create? You know, I think a lot of times we manage in terms of the output, right? So you folks build me an app. We need a mobile app, right? And we need a mobile app by Q4. Go. Why do we need a mobile app, right? We don't, we, I don't know. Do we need a mobile app? And so that that conversation instantly starts on the wrong foot, right? And yeah. it, it's like, okay, well, we built you a mobile app. You asked for a mobile app and look, it's, it's Q4. Like who cares, right? And so the conversation needs to kind of pivot from, okay, there's a, the people who are asking for the app by Q4 are not stupid, right? They have something in mind. They may not have, you know, thought, thought, all of the approaches through, but what did you have in mind? Oh, well, you know what? We want to increase mobile orders this year. Oh, okay. There's a tactic. We want to increase mobile ordering. Maybe we're going to build an app that's all about mobile ordering, right? And, yeah. and, and so the, but the, the measure is how do we, how do we get mobile ordering started? Maybe I could get mobile ordering running sooner if I didn't have an app. What if we just like, okay, well, we're going to get to the app, but first we want to pilot all of the backend systems needed to really start fulfilling mobile ordering. Well, we can do that by just slapping up a simple website, right? People can order right from our website. We don't need an app and then we'll get to the app, right? So, so being able to have that conversation in an organization is hard, right? When yeah. leadership comes to, comes to the team and says, we need an app by Q4, uh, being able to to take that as a prompt and and really renegotiate that request and say, okay, yeah. well, if we built you an app, how would you know it was successful? What what value would it bring to the business? What could we measure beyond the fact that you know app? Yes, no. What could we measure that would tell us this app is being successful? Oh, mobile order rate. Okay, good. Mm. What if we built a program instead of building it around the app? Could we build a program around mobile order rate? Yeah. And we, we promise to get you this volume of mobile orders by Q4, something like that. I guess one one way of framing this this is that when someone comes to you and says that you should build a mobile app, they probably have done some thinking around why that would be important. And they have some assumptions on how that would have an impact on something that is important for the company. But if you don't have that discussion and try to discover those assumptions, 
you don't really know what you're trying to build because you don't know what the what is the, the measure of success for this thing that we are building. And what you're saying is, if I'm understanding you correctly, is that you should try to kind of renegotiate that or have that discussion on like what are the assumptions underlying this thinking that we need a mobile app. Yeah. And that's a, that's a really different kind of conversation and it's a different kind of negotiation with stakeholders and one that's uncomfortable because it is, you know, I would say it's probably pretty frequently the case that if, if you say, build me an app and, and then somebody says, why, that why question is a challenge to your authority. And maybe you haven't thought it through. And, and, and frequently, by the way, the people who really understand what the outcomes need to be, in other words, the detailed behavior, those folks are not in the leadership room because uh, the, the folks who really understand the detailed end user and customer behavior tend to be the people who are closest to the customer, right? And so those tend to be the, the folks on, in the teams on the ground doing the work. Um, and so you have to have the, the, you have these two different perspectives in the organization. One that's kind of an, the leadership perspective is kind of aggregate high level strategic. And then you've got the detailed one and you've got to bring them together to have that converse, that collaborative conversation to say, what actually are the important outcomes? And that's a new kind of conversation, I think, for a lot of folks. Any tips on how to make these conversations more successful or facilitating them in a positive way? But my general answer is this is about two people talking to each other productively. And so different people are going to have different conversations. There's no like, oh, this is the way to talk yeah. to your boss, right? <laughs> um, you know, you can, you can have this conversation where you can kind of cast forward, right? And, and, and you can cast forward and say like, when we've done this and we've done this well, what's different for our business? What success have we created? What, what are our customers doing differently? What are our users doing differently? And you can also have this conversation that's about risk saying, you know, I want to de-risk this program, right? So we're going to build an app and what would be a bad result? What, where are the risks here? The risk might be that people aren't using it. Oh, okay. Well, how could we discover what are the behaviors to look for that would be negative behaviors that we want to avoid, right? And what are the behaviors to look for that are positive behaviors that we want to reinforce? And so I think having that conversation and trying to align around what the terms of um, the kind of key metrics that we want to measure as the program goes forward can really help open that conversation up beyond the sort of output-based build-me-an-app conversation. So essentially what we're trying to do is we're trying to lift the conversation up one abstraction layer uh, so we can talk about the assumptions. Yes, right. And, and, and I think with some stakeholders that will work, right? Some stakeholders will be really interested in the framework and they'll want to know all about output and outcome and impact. And some stakeholders couldn't care less about yeah, the Yeah, of course. And, and you don't necessarily need to expose them to the framework at all. You can have these discussions without exposing them to a framework. <laughs> right, exactly. And so that, that goes back to sort of the beginning of like, uh, how do you have these conversations? Well, part of it is just building relationships and trust, right? 
Now we talked about like organizing around outcomes and, and having discussions on, on outcomes and so on, but what's the problem or what's the risk with us organizing around outputs like we often yeah. currently do? Well, I mean, the, the risk is very simple, which is that we, we spend a long time building something that doesn't work, right? Yeah. And I think if you've spent any time in, in product development, you've had an experience like that where you work for three months, six months, nine months, a year, and you finally ship this thing you know, and you're like, oh, it's not working. <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. And, 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 and it's like, that's nobody, everybody hates that. Everybody hates that from all the different points of view. So let's stop doing that. <laughs> that's good advice. Just stop doing that. <laughs> we'll keep that in mind. That's right. It's e easier said than done. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so you've actually, in your work, you've spent decades uh, helping teams perform better. So what are this, what are some of the most important lessons that you've learned in creating great teams? Yeah. So I think the the first thing I would say is, I mean, look, there's there's a huge amount of work to be done just getting the team to trust each other, right? And so you know, creating that space, creating that psychological safety, you know, I think that's the foundation of any good team. But I think from a kind of a, a sort of a, a simpler kind of rules-based thing, your team should be small, right? Your team should be as cross-functional as you can make it. You want your team to have the, all the capabilities that you need on your team, right? Designers, product people, engineers, data people, QA people. You, you want that core unit to be the key capabilities you need in order to ship. You want uh, the team to be self-sufficient, right? So can I, uh, on my team, can we put stuff out into the world without asking for permission or without other dependencies, right? So to me, those are sort of small, cross-functional, and uh, empowered those are the sort of key watchwords. I used to say co-located. <laughs> so not, not that important anymore. Is that like, talk about that a little. Yeah. So, so that's one's really interesting. Like I, I really do believe in that idea of co-located teams. What yeah. I mean by co-located teams are, or what I, what I used to mean when I said co-located is that we're working together on the same timeline without unnecessary physical constraints separating us, right? So yeah. we're sitting in one room together. We're in one studio space together. We're in one wing of the building together. Here, here's the model for me that I can pick my head up and look around the room and I can say, hey, Tom, what did you mean in this document that you wrote when you said blah, 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 blah? Right. Years ago, I was, I was, I had a, a, a team that was working for me. I was, I was a manager of a design group and I had a bunch of designers working on a team and they all worked together in, in a team room that had designers, engineers, QA, uh, people all working together, sitting in the same space. They worked together for a year. They built all this trust. It was a really, really solid team. As the project was coming to an end, it wasn't quite over, but the project was coming to an end and there was another team that wanted that team space. So everybody on that team got sent back to their desks. Okay. Everybody was still sitting on the same floor of the building, right? Yeah. But now they were sitting on opposite sides of the building. 
right? And yeah. so it would literally be a five minute walk to stand up from your desk and walk over um, and ask. So these these folks who were, you know, just a great team getting along, really friendly, at, they, they go back to their desks. And then one day that one of the QA people sitting on that side of the building, she pops her head up and she says um, to another QA person, what does this uh, diagram mean that this designer did? And, and the other one was like, I don't know what it is. And then an engineer was like, I don't know what it is either. And the three of them started to get angry at this designer. And one of them, in, you know, sent a note to, to one of their managers and their manager sent a note to me saying, you know, your designers, what's the matter with them? <laughs> oh no. These, these were people who, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. like 24 yeah. hours earlier, one of them would have just like looked up and said, you know, Hey, wh- what does this diagram mean? And th- yeah. the question would have been answered easily. Right. So yeah, yeah. what do I mean by co-located? I mean that that stuff doesn't happen. And of course, there are, are there are remote ways of getting th- this done. Because actually, the example that you used, like Tom, what did you mean w- when you wrote this in the document? That's actually one of the reasons why I hate being in the office. <laughs> Is that like keep you keep getting interrupted with minutia and like details that like they shouldn't take up your or like interrupt your your time when you're trying to actually delve into something and they should be posted in a slack message for example where you can pick them up asynchronously and answer them when you have a break that is like suitable for you to take these random incoming requests and and that's why i think that like questions like that um even though like i get the point i think the better medium for, for them would be a slack message and what you're saying, if I'm understanding you correctly, uh, that would be like that would fit your definition of co-located. Yeah, I think I think the the thing about co-located is is you want folks to be working together at the same time, with with equal access to communication channels, right? Sure. So in in that story that I just told you, like you had this really rich informal communication between yep. these three people sitting together on one side of the building. And then you had this huge, uh, like, like this other person who was isolated, right? If they'd all been on Slack, that wouldn't have happened, right? If they'd all been sitting together in the same space, that wouldn't have happened, right? What you, yeah. what you had was that they weren't, they didn't have a equally weighted, you know, channel uh, yeah, to speak yeah. to each and other. And I totally yeah. uh, recognize that. And, and, and I think it's also like, uh, the communication needs to be really like low barrier and really informal, and so that there's no hassle for you to ask a simple question. You just post it immediately, and then the other person can easily get back to you when it's when it's a suitable time for them. Yeah, and then you need you still need the the, the trust and the knowledge of like, oh, okay, sure. you know what, Sami doesn't like to be interrupted. Like, I'm just going to post this in the Slack and he's going to get back to me when he's ready. Yeah. Whereas like, you know what, um, when so-and-so asks a question, it ten- they tend to want to answer urgently. So let me respect that need for urgency, right? And so like, exactly, those exactly. kinds of subtle things, like that's not a feature of Slack or, you know, open workplaces or workplaces with offices. You know, that's a feature of the relationship that you have with another human, yeah, human decency. <laughs> yeah, right. And and subtlety, right? Like because yeah. different people handle interrupts differently. 
And of course, it's like it depends on your day. Sometimes you have like just random stuff that you need to get done, and it's like interruption is not a problem at all. And then you have times when you really want to focus on something, and you hate interruptions. And yeah, right. And and I think what's important is that we can kind of like each person in the organization can also use their own like thinking and their own. You know, you can they can design their work days uh, based on the work that they need to get done. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much, Josh, for your time. It was, uh, it was great to have you on the podcast. Oh, well, thank you, Sami, so much for, for having me here. It's a lot of fun. I hope you liked the episode and I hope you learned something. And if you want to go deeper into the topic, go pick up Josh's book, Outcomes Over Output. It is 79 pages of condensed wisdom, so it's easily worth the invested time. There's one more boss level episode coming before a summer break, so tune in again in a few weeks. Bye.